Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is in the building over in Atlanta. I am still in the lovely, beautiful Gold Coast over here in Queensland in Australia. And we're going to talk about seven to nine. We ended up, I think, with nine prospects here that we think can swing the NBA playoff or even title race through their performances. It's not going to be like an exhaustive list or anything, but we just kind of wanted to talk about like seven or nine young guys. And we thought this was a really interesting paradigm to be able to do so within the idea of potentially trying to create winning basketball, which is why we're not going to talk about any rookies outside of one today. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm really, really excited to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about Kelly Oubre signing with the 76ers at the top, because that's just a really interesting move to me for the 76ers I don't hate it I think like it kind of works I'm not the most enormous Kelly Oubre fan but I think that this is probably one of the better situations for him to thrive uh and you know who knows what we'll end up talking about at the end of the show with Mark I might talk a little bit more about the blitz and what I've seen up here Mark what's going on buddy Sam, not a whole ton, man. I'm uh, I'm in a worse mood now because we spent time talking about paper straws before we got in and I just can't (laughs) stop thinking about how much I hate them um but I'm uh I'm good, man. How are you doing? Yeah, we we talked about this before the show, but the, the worst experience of my life is trying to drink like boba tea with paper straws here. And I, I do think that like Australia does paper straws more. And look, I'm all for the saving the environment piece of it. Like I get why that's happening. I'm just asking not to have them when I'm trying to like drink little bubbles at the bottom of my tea, because if any bend in that spoon in that straw happens, you're done. There's just no chance to get those little bubbles up through the straw. Correct. Yeah. It's uh, I've never had boba, but for iced coffee, it's a nightmare. I've had enough. So why have you never had boba? Is this just like one of those weird sugar things with you? Uh, Probably. I don't really like tea at all. So I think that, that, that plays a factor as well. Cause I've just, I see the word T and I just kind of am automatically exclusive of that ever happening. So I was full scale like Ted Lasso against T until I moved to Australia. But I'll be honest, I have, I have started to jump in. You've seen the light a little bit. You get some of these ones that have like a bit of a fruit flavoring. They're pretty okay. I don't know, man. I can't get there, but I'm happy for you. I should probably try it at some point, but today is not that day. No, I know. Okay, let's talk about Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre signs a minimum deal for one year with Philadelphia 76ers. Look, for a team that is going through this really, you know, interesting James Harden standoff right now, I don't think that there is a move that the 76ers could have made on the market just in terms of insurance and depth that made more sense than signing Kelly Oubre. On top of it, this is a team whose wing depth got a bit obliterated by free agency. Guys like Shake Milton, Jalen McDaniels departing, uh, George Niang as well leaves to go to Cleveland. I think that just getting a wing who is six foot seven and can be a bit of a scoring difference maker for them is valuable at the end of the day. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's exactly what I texted you. I was like, I'm kind of in on this for them. Like, I, it's uh, it it gets kind of marred by everything else going on, exactly like you said. But um, I'm excited about what. I mean, even just speaking defensively, having somebody like Joel is 
completely different from what Kelly has ever had behind him uh, in terms of a rim protector. Um, obviously, like he's played with some good rim protectors, but Joel is on a different level when he's at his best. Um, and I think when you think about what Nick Nurse could bring in terms of what they potentially do to um, be a little bit more interesting schematically this year and having, you know, we have wild to say eight years of footage of Kelly Oubre in the NBA. We know what he brings. So I think Nick Nurse is the guy that I look at like, huh, you could get some interesting stuff out of him. I think that there's a world where um, maybe he's able to to rein in some of his things that he does off the ball um, and they're able to get the most out of him just being big and present. And I think that you can, you can envision that being a good pairing with Joel. I think the biggest thing that I liked though, was exactly like you mentioned, this team has just never in, in Joel's time, basically since they traded Robert Covington, they have never had a player at the three, four that I think you feel comfortable um, all that comfortable with offensively that they're just going to take shots. And even if they're not making them, they're going to take them. Um, And I think having, a guy who we know has absolutely no issue being aggressive. Um, I I see the vision with it. Um, I think, again, the idea is this could go incredibly like it has the last couple of years and you end up feeling kind of wishy-washy on it and it ends up being fine. Or maybe there's room for it to even be a little bit better. And I think that's what I'm really interested to see happen. This is going to be a really interesting push-pull, I think, between a team that desperately needs more shot creation either off the bench or potentially in the starting lineup if the James Harden thing like really goes south and they end up not getting much for him and having to move him. Uh, but if not, like he could be an incredible bench scorer. I mean, you look at the last four years of Kelly Oubre's career, one with Phoenix, one with Golden State, and two with Charlotte. He's averaged 17 points a game, shot 44% from the field. He takes threes. Like he is somebody that, I don't want to say teams feel like they have to close out hard on necessarily, but I do feel like he gets respect from opposing defenders, at Mm -hmm. least in terms of where he's going to try and get to his spots. Right. Uh, And the fact that he's willing to take them, like he will take threes sometimes off the pull up, sometimes off the catch. A lot of the time, like it's not like an immediate, I'm going to catch and I'm going to fire. It's I'm going to catch, I'm going to pause. And then maybe if I don't see a driving lane, I'll fire. But I mean, look, if you're getting a guy that averages 17 points and five rebounds, he is still only 27 years old. And that's like a four year run of games where he's done that. Look, there are inherent limitations here. I get it. But for a minimum, like you you really can't do much better than that for a minimum, in my opinion, if you are a team that desperately needs shot creators. And I think that Philly really just needed more shot creation at the end of the day in terms of really being able to have insurance for if this situation goes south. Yeah. And I think again, like, like we always do with everything, I love pulling in just context of, of what the last couple of years have been like when, when Daniel house was the answer as the first wing off the bench, or even as a spot starter last year, Kelly raised an upgrade point blank period. Yeah. So I just, I can't find any room to really be too critical of it. I just want to see how it plays out. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, speaking about the Sixers a little bit more like grand scale here, the Harden thing still remains omnipresent at this point with Mm -hmm. where their direction will be this season. They have Tobias Harris 
they still have DeAnthony Melton, and then obviously Tyrese Maxey. I think the expectation is that he's going to have to take this really big leap forward, and I think he has a chance to do that for sure. Other than that, it really does get a little bit dire. Like you'd be relying on Daniel House, you'd be relying on Paul Reed, you'd be relying on you know Jaden Springer, Patrick Beverly. Danny Green to create shots potentially. And you just can't really do that in the modern NBA. Like Patrick Beverly is aggressive and is willing to like make shit happen sometimes. But Kelly Oubre has actual game. And a lot of these guys as well, like Tobias Harris is an expiring deal. Uh Anthony Melton is an expiring deal. Tyrese Maxey is a restricted free agent at the end of the year, but that is in theory an expiring deal. They could end up trying to make some, you know, moves around Joel Embiid in order to try and keep him uh, with a second star. If James Harden ends up moving and having this depth option of Ubre at least gives them some cover, I think. And look, if they do end up having to sell at the deadline because this thing just completely goes south, Kelly Ubre wasn't worth seemingly much at the deadline last year. But if he has a good year, you might be able to get you know, a pick or two for him in the second round. And when you've only paid him a minimum deal, I think you're a lot more amenable to moving him for a low, you know, return when you've only invested, you know, $3 million in him. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I would agree with that. So I I just kind of want to look at the, uh, just like on off numbers briefly while we're talking here for Ubre, because you know th- this this team with Charlotte last year struggled in the opening half of the season, which is a lot of when Kelly played. Uh, I don't really think they're all that valuable. Like he is a guy that had like a negative eight point two net rating when he was on the court, and then when he was off the court, it went down to you know four point seven five, which is not ideal, but. I just think that says more about the fact that, you know, Charlotte, it seemed like kind of struggled a little bit in certain moments early in the season that had a little bit to do with him, but I don't know that it had like a crazy amount to do with him. He had that like big stretch where he was out from, you know, what probably early January until mid December or mid February. I'm sorry. And then like, missed probably the last 10 games or something like that. So I I don't know. We'll see what happens with Kelly. It's a good signing though. Like it makes sense to me. Do you have any takes on why he took so long to find a landing spot? Cause that seemed to be like a real piece of this conversation. Um, that's a good question. I don't have a great opinion on that. Cause I, I just, I don't know anything about Kelly as a person. I haven't seen like, frankly, I've never seen reporting about him being a bad locker room person. Um, yeah, like I think that part of what's difficult too, I feel like the image of Kelly is, is like as a player isn't great based on some of the things we just talked about. Like um, I think that there are real questions sometimes about what his actual impact is to me. I've just always kind of been of the mindset of he's a replacement level player that can do good things. And in the right context, you can do some good things for you. And I think like it all just depends like golden state, I think was the low of lows. If you're going to ask him to, make quick decisions and be somebody who doesn't stop the ball. Good luck, buddy, because that's not going to happen. But then when what like the Phoenix season, I think that's when you look and go, okay, this is a guy who will really empowering, do some stuff as a secondary shot creator, play in transition. Um, That's the perfect version of Kelly Ray that you're going to get. And I think 
it all just yep. depends on on how a team looks. And I think especially with a team that's, you know, that does kind of need the depth to pop, I, I hope that they're looking for him with the right answers. Um, yeah, and look, he's going to create transition opportunities. He's going to use those long arms to try and shoot passing lanes, even though he's not a particularly good defender. He does, you know, occasionally create those chances. So when you have Joel backing you as a rim protector, I do think that you have a little bit more leeway to be yeah, able to exactly. do that. Um, not to say it's a great thing always with Kelly. And I think the effort level, you know, hopefully can continue to rise maybe as they play relevant basketball. If they're able to play relevant basketball this year, pending the James Harden thing, but they certainly will be at least like viable given that yeah. they have Joel Embiid, you know, last year's MVP. They're going to be a good team. As long as he stays healthy, it's, it's a good signing. It makes sense to me. Okay. So you hit me last night and you wanted to talk about guys across the league that could kind of rise into different roles, could kind of improve their games a little bit and really help certain teams, Mm -hmm. right? Really help their teams move from one level to another, even if that level is like incremental, right? Like we're not only going to be talking about starters here in this thing. We we got a nice little mix of guys that are going to be potential stars this year, potential guys that we really see move into a different echelon of player. And then guys that are going to be elevated into bench roles that we haven't seen them in before. We kind of just wanted to get a mix of seven to nine players and talk about what we think they could do this year to help their team win. So let's start with the stars and then kind of move down Mm -hmm. the list a little bit. Actually, wait, would you mind if I change up the order? Yes, we can change up the order. Okay, just because I've been thinking about this one a lot, and this is the guy who made me want to do it, because yeah. I think that I would argue this is the guy who is most important this year on this list for his team with respect to taking, not even necessarily saying that he is the next step, but in terms of just improving like how I feel about the team, and that's Marjan Beauchamp. Like, I think I'm not saying that he's more important than, than Evan Mobley or Keegan Murray, but in terms of like he has to hit as a role player who they can count on this year, in my opinion. Like when we talk about a team that needs athleticism, that frankly just needs to be younger, because when you look at that roster up and down, it's a lot of mid thirties, like a lot. Like we're we're talking about Grayson Allen as a young player and he's older than I am. So like, it's not exactly something that I feel awesome about. And I think you saw some good things from him last year, but this team really needs him to be a player this year and not just a, well, occasionally we can plug him in. Like, I think he needs to be a top nine rotation guy this year comfortably. I think he needs to play somewhere in like the sixth to eighth most minutes on this team this year, maybe, yeah. is like a way to put it. Yeah. Uh, there will probably be games where, you know, he might not play as much, but, and that, that will happen when they're healthy and maybe there's just like specific lineups that make sense for him to be out of right last year he played the 11th most minutes on this team he played behind Wesley Matthews who is gone Joe Ingles who is gone Javon Carter who is gone and they need somebody who can just be an athletic wing defender that can take pressure off of Chris Middleton Mm -hmm. I think yeah Making him not have to do all of that, I think, would really be helpful to keeping him healthy throughout the year. 
making Drew Holiday not have to guard up the lineup as often, I think would be really helpful to keep Drew Holiday healthy throughout the course of an entire season. And Drew mostly stayed healthy after that first little spurt on the bench, you know, with, I forget what he did last year. Some reason, like a hand like sticks out to me. I don't remember. I can't remember either, but Drew obviously does uh, turn, you know, I think he's turned 33 here already and limiting the wear and tear that you can on Drew, I think is valuable. Uh, Chris Middleton is 32 limiting the wear and tear you can on him is valuable. Uh, And even somebody like Pat Connaughton, like Pat Connaughton has, you know, been in the league for eight seasons at this point. Uh, Like that kind of surprises me every time I look at it. He's 31 years old at this point because he got to the NBA a little bit later than some of the other guys, you know, that do. I think he was like 22 or 23. Didn't he do baseball before he like got into he was a high he was a high level baseball player when he was in high school. He got drafted, I think, like in the fifth round mm-hmm. and would have been able to take like a million dollar guarantee to or maybe he did take like a million dollar guarantee from the Orioles and kind of like tried to do both for a minute and then eventually stopped. Okay. So what you're saying is that he's Brandon Whedon but NBA. Brandon Whedon, but NBA, except he's carved out a real career and uh, is guaranteed, I think, to make something like uh, $45 million, like something in that ballpark. It's good money if you can get it, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, it's not bad. Um, Uh, Yeah, I mean, exactly. Go ahead, though, on Marjan. Yeah, no, I mean, exactly like you're hitting on. I just think when when you talk about this team and needing to play a different style of basketball this year, a different brand – and when you wanting just, to at the very well, yeah wanting to and when you just look at what the the guard room is, I mean, I would like to see Malik Beasley get back a little bit to who he was in in Minnesota um, potentially you know find having a team that can do that for him. Um, I think they need him to, but also I think when you just look up and down, like it's a lot of question marks outside of Drew and, and Grayson Allen and like obviously Pat, but I consider Pat more of a wing than an actual guard. Um, so it's yeah. Um, and especially too, like it's not sneakily, but we talked about this last year. Jay Crowder was like fine for them, but I think the fall off for Jay was pretty real last year as a player. Yeah. Um, I, I did not, I did not love the Jay Crowder minutes to be honest. Yeah. And like they, again, so it just, you, you keep talking about there, this really needs to pop. And I think for me, um, a lot of it's just consistency too. Like, duh, he's going to be a second-year player. But I think, like, there are moments where it's just a lot of the same stuff we saw with GLI. Like, I think continuing to um, have more consistent footwork on his shot, more, just more consistent shot prep, like the things that allow him to start getting into some of the things that are exciting about his game as a secondary player, he's got to hit the role-player stuff this year, like, from the ground running, in my opinion. Um, I did genuinely like his defense, though, this last year. I think he defends hard. I think he runs in transition. He just plays really hard. Yeah. The, the swing skill for Marjan is the shooting mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Like he has to be able to shoot it. And I agree with you on the point that the footwork is still like a question in terms of the shot prep from time to time. Like sometimes the base gets a little bit too narrow. Sometimes it's like, you know, there's a little bit of like a turn throughout his shot. 
But I thought that the biggest thing he did last year was really clean up the top of the release. Like mm-hmm. it looked like the ball came out of his hand much better and it looked like it came out with good rotation, which to me is uh, you can fix base stuff. I think when you start fixing the hand placement, that's the stuff that I think can take a little bit longer for guys to get comfortable with uh, and look like every shooter is different, right? But I think that like in an off season, you can work on base stuff a little bit easier than you can like on hand placement, on getting the right rotation, on follow through, because that stuff, it, it just is a feel stuff more than anything to me. Like you've you've held the ball a certain way throughout the course of your entire life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now you're being asked to do it like a slightly different way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, I'm with you. I, I think Marshawn hopefully can have a good year. I would like to see him be a 35% three point shooter on three or four attempts per game. That to me would be like growth. Uh, I'm not saying that like it would be the kind of guy that gets closed out on all the time. Right. He wouldn't be at that point, but I think he would be somebody that that would show real incremental growth. And it would be a positive for this bucks team if they can get that from him. Mm -hmm. no i agree entirely okay let's go there are three like main big guns that i kind of want to talk about here right Mm -hmm. i I do want to start with evan mobley because i think he's actually somebody that could like theoretically swing a title race if he takes a real leap as a shot creator and as like a shooter and you know mid-range shot maker we know how good Evan Mobley is on defense. We know that he was top three in defensive player of the year last year. Uh, we know how impactful he has been on what has turned into the best defense in the league, despite the fact that they have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, a really undersized backcourt, uh, playing a majority of their minutes. And I, I do want to give like respect to Donovan Mitchell. I thought that his defensive effort was way better this past season, and I thought he did a really good job making things a little bit more difficult for opposing teams on that end, but this is still a really small backcourt in an NBA where size is starting to make all of the difference in the world in terms of whether or not you can make winning plays on the basketball court. Mm -hmm. And for them to have had the best defense in the league last year, I think says a lot about the leap that Evan Mobley took and how his synergy with Jared Allen has been able to take shape. Yeah. Where he needs to leap is the offensive shot creation. And I think that we've always thought that there is a real ceiling there for him as a shot creator because of his balance, because of his coordination and because of his just overall fluidity, his quickness, his ability to like bend and straight line drive against guys and get lower than them, despite being a seven footer and getting all the way to the rim. Now he just needs to be able to take that little bit of space that sometimes defenses give him and knock down a shot or drive and like consistently kick out and make a play like that. If he can, if he can be like a 20 point per game scorer this year, it it really changes them, especially if he can continue to do it efficiently while changing his shot profile. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And I think it was to, to be honest, I mean, it was him and Jarrett had a lot of the same issues in that, that series with the Knicks when they just got pounded. I mean, you look at, so much of what what it became was okay. Well, we know you want to hit the short roll pass. We know that's where you're most comfortable. So we're just not going to 
tag up. We're just going to have whoever is sitting there at the rim stay there, make you put the ball on the deck. We're going to play you physically, and we're not going to give you what you want. And that was really difficult for him. You saw him really struggle with that. Um, and I think, yes, part of that is playing double big, but also like that's what the context and situation is right now. It looks like that's what is going to be moving forward for a little bit at least. And you need to be able to make that stuff. I do think part of what's tough is that I think that series, as much of it as it was like an important wake-up call sounds a little bit too strong when we're talking about a second-year player. But I think um, I, I do think it did kind of erase some of like the fact that he still really did get better as a second-year player. Um, yeah, I think that he showed real growth as an offensive player. That does, doesn't necessarily play out in the percentages and whatnot, but I think uh, he, he got so much better around the basket last yeah, year. Some thought, of it was that like the synergy with Darius, I thought was really strong in terms mm-hmm. of like getting more opportunities at the basket, like spoon fed for him. But I actually thought like his finishing craft in general was way better last year. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like he wasn't playing battleship with the backboard as much, especially out of the post. Like that, um, like hook shots. Like it, like there were times as long as somebody wasn't like extremely physical with him, it felt like okay, he could get the ball once, lower his shoulder, and get a hook shot up. Like that felt like at least like a serviceable thing for him, and it didn't feel like that in in, in year one. So I do think like there were things like attacking. It was not closeouts, but like attacking pockets and attacking space. He kept getting better at that, and I think you saw small things like that. But again, I think a lot of it is just it's the jumper and it's not even just the three. I think it's more for me. Can you do like can you because I think with what his shot motion is like right now and how he gets into it, he's maybe going to be better as a pull up shooter off one or two inside the arc than he is from three, at least for a while, because he really likes the hop step. He really likes to be able to kind of take his time getting into it. And he has a slower release. So like. Yes, the release point is high, but I think with that kind of thing, I wonder if the jump maybe comes from more what he does, like you mentioned off top, as a mid-range shooter than him necessarily becoming a guy who is spacing from three. Like, yes, they need him to do that, but I think even just doing the mid-range stuff and getting better at that would be pretty big for him. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that I wonder if he could develop a little bit more is like a little runner or push shot kind of thing from those mid-range areas. Yeah. He's showcased it like occasionally, like he'll take like, he'll take one, like maybe every three games, two games where it's just like that little mid-range, like little like high push shot that he'll take. And he made like 50% of them last year. He made, you know, looking at synergy here, now that I have the page up, he made 48.9% of those shots last year, which like, look, not the most efficient thing in the world, but if that can be a combo breaker that you can go to once a game, maybe even like one and a half times a game, as opposed to, you know, once every other game or once every, you know, three games, it's a real difference maker. I think for teams in terms of the way they have to play you and the way they have to consider those short roll options. When you make it, it just makes your role a little bit more varied out of pick and roll with Darius Garland. The other piece of it here is, I would love to see him grow into being able to play more of the five. And I get it that they have Jared Allen right now. So those minutes are going to be a little bit more limited, but to me where they can make playoff growth is with Evan Mobley at the five and hopefully having spacing and shooting around him, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And look, Jared Allen's going to play 
25 minutes a game in the playoffs, no question. It could be more depending on the matchup, could be less, right? Bigs are just players that are awesome in the regular season because they give you real defensive identity and defensive structure, but you can game plan for them a little bit if they don't really have much offensive game, which frankly, unfortunately, Jared Allen does not. He's a great defender. I think he's one of the 10 to 15 best defenders in the NBA, but he doesn't have that versatility in terms of scoring at this point. Mm -hmm. He is a finisher at the rim and that's who he is. And that's great. Having Evan be able to play the five just makes them a much harder guard. And hopefully he would be able to anchor a defense in a real way. I don't know if he can do that yet, but if he could do some of it this year, it would be an enormous incremental piece of growth for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, no, it'd be, it, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think part of what makes this really fun too, like you mentioned, when you look at the East right now, like there's a real chance for, for, any of the top four or five teams to kind of stake their claim this year because it mm-hmm. just feels like we just talked about with the Bucks, we talked about with the Sixers, uh, the Celtics. I still think are going to be very good, but like it's, I mean, I, I want to see how they work in these new pieces and what that looks like. Like there's, there's a lot more going on at the top that I think is still a work in progress than it looked like in in recent years. So I'm interested to see what that looks like, and and Evan taking this step could really be huge for the Cavs taking a leap. Yeah, and with Evan, it's just like really interesting because it feels like to me, like if he's going to take an offensive leap, like the handle is like, it's pretty good, I think. Like he can, he gets a little bit loose with it, but like not crazy loose. Like a lot of the time, like it feels like when he's playing with Bend and trying to drive, he's able to get lower to the ground, which allows the handle to get lower to the ground. But when he's like in those short roll settings, like he can get a little bit high with it, it feels like to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, really interested to see how that piece of it develops. The other thing that is just really interesting to me is you look at the guys on the Cavs last year that were playing on the wing, their three point numbers don't look that bad on the face. Like Isaac Okoro hit 35% from three. Karis LeVert hit 39% from three. Chetty Osman hit 37% from three. Dean Wade and Kevin Love hit 35% from three. Like, you can squint and say, oh, the Cavs shooting was not an issue last year. Nobody guarded those guys. Like, frankly, like outside of Kevin Love, nobody really had the respect of getting guarded away from the rim. And having Max Struess and George Niang, those guys are like real shooters that NBA teams really respect out there. So in those lineups with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley or in lineups where it's just Evan Mobley at the five, having like multiple shooters out there in addition to Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell or in the minutes where one of Mitchell or Garland are on the bench, you have another shooter to put out there. It's really valuable and I think that having that extra space in the areas that Evan likes to work in the mid-range should lead to him having more success as a shot maker and playmaker. Mm-hmm. So I- I'm excited to see where the Evan Mobley experience goes this year. I think he has a chance to be one of the best players in the league. I truly do. Uh, but we need to see some offensive growth this year, in my opinion. Most definitely. Uh, Let's take a quick commercial break, and then I will let you go to who we want to talk about next.
Okay, Mark. I'll give you the floor. Who do you want to talk about next? It's time to talk about Keegan Murray. We got to talk about Keegan Murray, love man. Um, I love Keegan. Um, I think his rookie season was uh, – it was a, a fun rookie season. Like I tend to ascribe to the most rookies are going to struggle to have a positive impact on the floor notion. And I think he really did. Like it, it helps like the Kings put him in a very – great situation for him and I think he responded incredibly well with it but part of what was so fun too is you could see like there were times throughout the season where he took those extra steps and like you saw like okay it's more than just him playing in his role and there's a little bit more there and um I think like the 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 easy Kings continue to get better uh argument is Keegan Murray takes a pretty significant leap this year or next year and he keeps ascending up the ladder. And um, I don't find that unreasonable at all based on what he did this past season. The thing that I loved about Keegan Murray's season as a rookie was the way that he embraced an off-ball role after coming from Iowa where everything was in his hands all Mm -hmm. the time, right? Like he would grab and go and transition with Iowa. He would be on the block all the time. They'd run like specific sets to try and get him like flare threes and, uh, you know, everything centered around Keegan for that second year in Iowa. The first year, you know, he was off the bench. He was like an energy player. He was uh, used in an entirely different way. Basically, each of the last three seasons, Keegan Murray has been utilized in three extremely disparate ways. And I kind of love that for his development long-term. I think that being able to play in that wide variety of settings should give him real comfort in a lot of different cases as he continues to grow and get better and better and better as a player. And we saw that growth a little bit in summer league this year where he was just really comfortable creating a shot. He's a guy that's always been comfortable putting the ball on the ground at the very least. A lot of the time in college, that second year, it was in post-ups, right? Or it was like he'd face up into a post-up or, you know, he'd face up drive and get all the way to the rim in like semi-transition, right? After catching, you know, on the wing or something. With the Kings, they ran him off of all sorts of really interesting, intricate action where like sometimes it would be like a stagger screen where he'd like just, you know, go screen and shoot across the play, right? And then catch a catch and shoot three opportunity, Sometimes he'd be like, you know, just a spot up player where he was just catching and firing and had to be ready to do that. The the fact that he was so adept at playing off the ball off of Damanis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, I think really says a lot where I think the growth is going to come from. And I think we're going to see that this year, or I think we're going to see this this year. I think he's going to take a leap in terms of the offensive on ball creation. Yeah. And just the level of work ethic that he has the level of willingness to get better every single time that he takes the court. I I really think that now that teams know that this is like a thing with young players all the time that it allows their, their games to grow organically. NBA teams knowing that Keegan Murray is a 40% three point shooter off the catch from three. They know now that they have to close out on him. They know they have to respect him now as a shooter. That opens up real driving opportunities for him. It opens up the ability to put the ball on the deck, given that he has the ability to comfortably 
drive and keep his dribble to get into the mid range, to get to the rim. He's powerful. He's physical. He has the ability to run the occasional ball screen as well. Like having this again, having played these three years in very disparate roles, he's been able to develop a multitude of skills where it has made him a more versatile offensive chess piece now. Yeah. And I think that he is somebody that's really poised to take a leap this year. Like, look, I've eaten crow already on Keegan Murray. Like I was, you know, wrong. Like I had him at like seven, if I remember correctly, pre-draft. And, you know, at the time I thought they should have taken Jaden Ivey at the time. I thought they should have taken, uh, I think I'd Ben Matherin over him as well. I, 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 I look, I, I don't know which one of those, which one of him or Jaden I would take long term. I think Jaden's upside is just like immense. But if you made me pick like a player that has like a median outcome, like I think Keegan's median outcome is much higher than what Jaden's is at this point. Uh, and it just depends on your roster situation in terms of which one you would take. Uh, Keegan has been outstanding and I think he's going to continue to be outstanding and actually grow and mature. Yeah. I think one of the things I most liked about him too this last year is, um, the first three games of, of their series with the Warriors, he was kind of an afterthought and, and frankly, just pretty poor. Uh, I thought he did some things okay defensively, but offensively, he really struggled. And then has a 23-point outburst in game four, um, scores in double digits the rest of the series. Like that's, It wasn't a perfect series for him by any stretch, but to like see him grow within a series was pretty cool. I liked seeing that. Um, I think the biggest thing that I need to see with him this year is slowing down. Um, because mm. that's where he, he, like, I agree with you, especially when, if he can catch the ball and then be physical, I think you saw some good stuff with that, but, um, scoring on drives and continuing to get better with that is going to be big for him because he got the opportunities, but it was a lot of, especially in the playoffs. Cause I think that's where he struggled is like, okay, well, we're just going to meet you at the rim on drives. We're not going to like give you the opportunities to, to kind of take advantage of us. And I think, He's not quite there with somebody like making plays um, with either as a passer or a scorer when it comes to yeah. that, because um, like he needs to get to some go-to moves when he's able to, when he does face more coverages like that, because that's going to happen the way that he's taking, that he's going to get closeouts. But when you have that kind of base already, I feel pretty comfortable about him continuing to grow and develop into that. But I think that could be, if he really nails down some more of the footwork and, and he got a little bit stronger in the offseason, that could be a really big hitting point for him this year. Well, and to me, the passing is like the... I think the next step for him is honestly probably creating a little bit more off the bounce and just being a little bit more comfortable, like getting to a shot in the mid-range, which again, like like you're saying, is a big factor when it comes to slowing down, Mm -hmm. right? Um, the, The big, like, you know weakness with his game has been playmaking and passing for his teammates. And it's been like that since he's been at Iowa, but he's not a selfish player either. Like he's somebody that moves the ball along quickly when he feels like he doesn't have an advantage. Right. There's a difference though, between being unselfish and like passing within the flow of the offense and like making dangerous passes to teammates. Right. And getting them the ball in really advantageous situations. That's the next step for him. And if he can do that, I think he has a real real chance to be very, very impactful. I, I think that could be more of a year three thing than a year two thing. But if year two ends and Keegan Murray is averaging 15, 16 points and, you know, continues to shoot, you know, 
39 to 41% from three off of, you know, high level movement, catch and shoot opportunities within the flow of their offense. I think that's like totally doable for him. I think that would be a real, real step forward for the Kings, let alone like if he takes like a real leap as a scorer, uh, if he does that, then we're in a different conversation, but I I'm kind of expecting him to come in and average like 15 to 17 points a game as a second year player. Yeah, no, I think that's completely reasonable. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if it's more. So, yeah, no, it's, it's possible. That's really possible for Keegan Murray. Keegan looks like a stud and Kings fans should be super, super happy with where his development is and with taking him at number four overall. Let's move on to the next guy that, Look, I, I just love the or the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I have to talk about the Thunder whenever I can. Chet Holmgren is like one of the most critical players in all of like basketball to me this season because if he transforms what Oklahoma City does on defense while being a more you know aggressive offensive player than what they've had at the center position recently. They do a lot of Kenrich minutes at center. They do a lot of Jalen Williams minutes at center. If Chet can be a more aggressive player, I don't know, man, I'm pretty intrigued. Yeah. Um, I, I just am so fascinated to see what he looks like on the NBA court. Um, and particularly with, with what OKC does. Um, I was a huge proponent of him in the draft, obviously, you know, injuries suck, but um I'm with you, man. I think especially like for me, it's almost less about Chet and it's more just like what he does for Oklahoma City that has me so excited just because like this team really hasn't played with a true big since Steven Adams was there. They haven't really had an actual player who can do some of the things at the five for them um, on both ends of the ball that I think Chet could really open up for them. And that's incredibly enticing to me because I think especially when you talk about what this team is defensively and what they've built over the last two years defensively um, when you factor in adding in like a real legitimate rim protector um, and somebody who just has a phenomenal basketball IQ on that end who really sees things who can who can kind of quarterback things for them um, I'm just excited about what that means because I think that raises the floor of that team so much in a way that um, even with when their defense has hit in the last two years, not to the level that I think it gets you with that. Look, I, I think that that's really right. I mean, this is a team that generally has kind of just made it work at the rim in terms of like rim protection. Jalen Williams taking charges having really high level perimeter defenders like Shea took a leap on defense last year. Uh, certainly Lou Dort is a very impactful defender in one-on-one situations with Chet. What you get is like that last line of defense that they've kind of not had. And it allows guys like Shea, like, you know, uh, Josh Giddy to get more aggressive on the perimeter. This is the team that like, look, I have made it no secret that, they are my favorite in terms of the way that they build their roster. Them, teams like them, Denver, uh, that build big. And we talked about this in the last podcast, big, big skilled ball, not small ball, right? That That's the real differentiator. The Lakers have built big skilled ball at this point. Having LeBron is like kind of a combo breaker in that regard, though. Oklahoma City has built their entire roster construction around having 
Lou Dort, you know, who is a tank of a human being who can guard fours, be the smallest player on the court for them. And there are times where they can have like Shea be the smallest player on the court for them, which is absolutely fucking bonkers because Shea is six foot six with a seven foot wingspan. Josh Giddy being six foot eight, like Josh's on ball point of attack perimeter defense needs some work, but he's just enormous and they're able to play him off the ball because they can put Lou on, on ball players. They just drafted case and Wallace. They can put case and Wallace on, on ball point of attack players. They can put Shea on point of attack on ball players if they really need to. Uh, Josh is just big. He's like six foot eight to six foot nine. He takes up a lot of space. If that's your point guard, having him there is a huge marginal advantage in terms of just ground coverage. Ground coverage to me is the name of the game defensively in today's NBA. It's different in FIBA competition because the court is a little bit more condensed, but in the NBA where the offensive zone is much more stretched out and the best shooters in the world play, it's huge. And like Oklahoma city also is like another one of these guys in Jalen Williams that, you know, we could certainly be talking about him in this conversation because if he takes the leap that I think he's capable of into being an all-star by like year three or four, I mean, it's a totally different convo, but like, I, I think that Chet is the one that really changes their team dynamic in a real way. We know what Jalen can do. We haven't really seen Oklahoma city with like a rim protector who can grab and go and who can shoot threes and who can do all of the things that we know they've wanted their fives to do over the course of the last, you know, two years, certainly that they've been playing this scheme under Mark Dagnall, uh, really even longer, I guess now, but like, it it really feels like to me, he is the idealized version of all of this for them. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, And I think part of what's just exciting is like, what is he maybe added to his game while he's been out? And it seems pretty clear. He's gotten stronger. That's been a focus for him. Um, And yeah, because I think part of what's so fun too, is like, you've seen the, like you get like pieces of Chet, in all of the bigs that they've kind of played in in spot minutes and, and in their rotation the last couple of years. But then with Chet, you get the full picture of everything together, theoretically, obviously, you know, like I, not to be like unfair, but I, you just, I never want to like speak something in, into existence before it happens. But like, um, okay. Like you've, you've, there, there have been guys who have been able to be out there and, and be a room protector or be guys who've been able to be out there and, and be mobile on the perimeter guys who have been able to do some of the passing stuff, like from, from Jalen Williams and, um, and then you get, okay, well, here's Chet who can do all of that and some of that better than anybody else has for you over the last couple of seasons. And it's like, that is, uh, I, I'm, I just, it's so fun to think about OKC because they could really go so many directions this year. Yeah. The last thing I want to note on Chet Holmgren, the thing I'm just most excited about to watch with Chet and the thing that like I missed watching the most this past year was the way that he rotates with anticipation defensively is unbelievable. Like for a guy that is that young, the way that he sees things develop before they happen on the defensive end, when he's in help situations, like he'll be at the opposite wing. And if he sees somebody driving, he knows how much ground he can cover and he's capable of just rotating down and just erasing shots or just contesting shots, just making his presence known and speeding guys up. Like 
he has incredible scramble defensive instincts that really allow him to be one of the most just truly impressive, intelligent defenders that I've evaluated. Like, I think I said pre-draft with him, like, I don't think I've seen a player that has this level of anticipation defensively that Chet has. Like, he's not quite as fluid athletically as, like, a Jaron Jackson is, or even like an Alex Sar is, right? Like, Alex Sar is a joke in terms of his movement skills and, like, his fluidity. But where Chet has those guys, like, it at least as teenagers, Jaron has certainly developed the anticipation even more as he's gotten through the NBA. But like where he has those guys beat is he just sees things happen like a full second before they happen. Like he has that, like whatever that vision is that you see things like develop before they do. It's truly a special gift. And I I am so, so excited to watch Chet Holmgren this year defend more than anything else yeah for anybody who has like would like to see something on that the best game for me was texas tech and gonzaga played and uh i actually really liked what texas tech tried to do because they went in right away and they're like okay we're gonna completely go away from our offense and try and run a bunch of split cuts to pull you away from the basket and hit cutters behind you so that you can't do it and he just like it was wild watching somebody who was pulled out um, that far away from the basket that was still able to see everything and blow things up before they even got to the rim. Um, strongly recommend that. And also shout out Daniel Bacho, very, uh, very fringy prospect eventually who transferred to Louisiana tech that has a little bit of everything to his game, but is not perfect. So yeah, Chet Holmgren in that game had like five points and, and the defense was just insane. Like one of the best yeah. defensive games I've ever seen somebody play. Like, I, I just remember that game and remember thinking, like, oh, my God, like, Chet just completely dominated this game in yeah. such a substantial way. Like, he, like, I think finished, I'm looking through the box score now, he finished seventh on the team in scoring in that game, and it was just like, no, he was definitely the most impactful player on the yeah. game here. No, it was like, crazy. Um, That was, that was, oh God, that was a sick game. That entire Gonzaga you know, season was so fun, man. Yeah, the way that that dude processes basketball is ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. The next guy that I want to go to, the next duo I want to go to, play for the Denver Nuggets, and it's Christian Brown, and I want to talk about Peyton Watson here as well, because I, I think that they need Peyton Watson to play like pretty real minutes this season, but more than that, Christian Brown is going to be the guy that I think steps into the Bruce Brown role, where they need that extra sixth man. And it'll be different, right? Like he's not like the short roll god that Bruce Brown is, and you know Bruce Brown improved, you know, uh, way more than just being that short roll guy that we saw Brooklyn kind of develop him into, and then eventually he went to Denver, and he did some of that for sure. But he really improved as a shooter. He really improved uh, even as a perimeter defender as well, dealing with guards. I thought more so than uh, he was even in Brooklyn. He's always been a good defender, but I thought he got even better this year in Denver. Christian Brown has a lot of responsibility on his shoulders now. I think he's going to succeed. Like I think he can be the kind of bigger athlete that Bruce Brown brought to the table for the Denver Nuggets. And Bruce is a really good defender. I think Christian's an awesome defender. You watch him defend off the ball. You watch him rotate around uh, just trying to blow up things with his, again, really high level anticipation. He's just really sharp and I think he's athletic enough to guard on ball. And I think that he's going to be a really impactful player for Denver this year. Uh, Let's start with Christian Brown. Yeah, it was interesting because as good as Bruce was, especially in the playoffs, 
His defense kind of slipped for me a little bit this year. Not that he was like awful, but he went from, I thought he was like an all defense guy in Brooklyn. And I thought it was more like fine in Denver. Um, You know, obviously scheme changes definitely play, play, play a factor in that. But um, I think when you're talking about replacing him, what's, what's fascinating. I think oftentimes people like think of Bruce and they're like, Oh, he's like the super athletic dude. And he's like, he's athletic, but he's much more like football athlete to me in terms of like somebody who is, really good with a low center of gravity, can play up, um, is strong, like really is able to just play with functionality in that way. But he's a pretty below-the-rim guy, honestly. Like he he's punched a few. But I think to me, like Christian is a better athlete. He's a different kind of athlete. Um, yeah. Like I think D- when you're Different talking, kind of athlete I think is a really good way to put it. Yeah. And I think because like it's just – it's completely different. So, yeah, you're not getting the short roll aspects, but I think like I have a lot more – like and we we saw it like more of like okay he can he can grab and go off the defensive board like if if Yoke isn't in the game, um you just get more like okay we'll throw in like if you just go off a backdoor cut out of a slob or something you know we're going to get you there and that's that's something that we have open for you because he has that kind of leaping ability. Um, I think the biggest thing for me it's it's the same thing I felt at Kansas is like I just need him to not hesitate on things. I need him to not hesitate to shoot. I need him to either decide I'm shooting or I'm attacking the closeout. And that's the biggest thing for me. Like I think – and like that's stuff that I feel, especially with having a more cemented role this year, like I don't think that's unreasonable at all for that to, to be something that I don't think completely gets fixed this year, but I think could really improve for him in a substantial way. And um, when you're talking about how he can play – like already showing – like I mean, he showed it at Kansas, showed it last year, the ability to just – make the right play after he does make the decision. Like, I think that's going to be important um, to just continue repping out, being able to do all of that fluidly at once. And that's going to be big for him. I agree with you. I think that the other thing he really brings to the table is that back cutting ability. Yeah. Uh, where just you can run him baseline and he can, you know, be in for Aaron Gordon or be in for Michael Porter jr. And really create that gravity going toward the rim for Jokic when he is, you know, initiating in the high post, right? Or initiating at the top of the key. I think that that is a really impactful piece of it. And I think Bruce, I would expect, you know, Brian in the comments says that Bruce Brown had 50 dunks last year. That's a lot for a 6'4", 6th man. I'm kind of anticipating that Bruce Brown has a ton more than that like i think he has a real chance to do oh christian quite a bit of work yeah like, and i like because i didn't mean to like slander bruce's ability to dunk but i do think like to be fair looking at most of the dunks it's he has an open runway it's coming off of a cut and like he's playing off somebody else it's not to like delineate from that but i do think like it's just it's a different different kind of dunking ability like i don't i don't know like i do think there is a difference in verticality but yeah like like christian's gonna like cut and go off of two feet and like slam with like two hands like with a tomahawk bruce brown's gonna like leap off of one foot and you know dunk with one hand and do uh you know off of a drive right where he gets like a clean yeah. runway to the rim christian's defense i think is going to be really important the, the the big guy here that i'm like fascinated with is peyton watson though like i, I expect christian brown to be good because I, I think christian brown's just a good player and i think he's shown enough mm-hmm. right I feel confident that he can go in and be a real sixth man for them. Peyton Watson being able to jump into being that like eighth man for Denver. If he can do that, like they're going to be in every bit the conversation to win, you know, 
55 games in the regular season and be awesome and you know continue to have the playoff success they had last year they, they need to find like one or two more guys and i would expect that peyton watson will get the first crack at it you know julian strother might hunter tyson might get a crack at it they just signed justin holiday obviously you know reggie jackson i would imagine will play backup point behind uh jamal murray when jamal murray is out of the game but but they need one of these guys to step up, and I think Peyton Watson is the one that I anticipate best being able to step up because he's just six foot eight with a seven foot wingspan. He's a real athlete out there; like he can get out and transition. He can run. He can just be impactful by being a high level athlete. And if the shooting comes off the catch, like he's definitely a useful player. He's conscientious defensively. I think that at times, like he still was learning and trying to figure out what kind of level he had to bring to play in the NBA as a teenager. But like he cares on defense, I think at least too, he always has. Mm -hmm. So I think Peyton Watson is the most likely one to be able to jump into their rotation from the guys that were either rookies this year or were outside of the rotation last year. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, uh, when you just talk about like how this team is built, like not that everything is completely the same this next year. I think like you mentioned, Christian Brown's kind of stepping in that same role that Bruce had, obviously going to be a little bit different. But um, I think part of why Peyton just makes sense is that he is the guy who does things that other people on the team don't. And you just yeah. kind of get a different sort of factor with that. Um, and I think in some ways like that can be, is a coach going to want to buy into that, which is what I'm going to be interested to see. Um, and I think like when you like, again, like playing with Jokic brings some easier things, like opens up some things that are easier for you to do on court. But then it also like, like you talked about, I think having the shooting ability is going to be important, but um, with what he could bring defensively and like just having more size and, and having more athletes on the court. Like, I think that, there's a real chance for like, okay, maybe this does some stuff in second units. That's really exciting or um, just gives you a different look. So I'm interested to see what that looks like for sure. I, I They're going to need somebody to step up basically. And, and look like they, they have a lot of guys who bring different things to the table in an interesting way too. Right. Like Julian Strother can stretch it out to like 29 feet. Like his, range is ridiculous with a really quick release from three hunter tyson i think is a guy that like can move off of screens a little bit better than julian strother does and like stop and pop like right behind the three-point line and space the floor that way and i think he's a better athlete than what julian strother is uh you know peyton watson certainly is a guy that is just like athletic and can play in transition and is just like a bigger version of some of these guys just in terms of like his natural size on the court, even though I think Hunter might be like listed as a little bit taller than he is, but like, I don't know. I feel like you feel Peyton Watson's length on the court a little bit more than you do Hunter's at the very least. They have a lot of these young guys that could step into that role. We know that Mike Malone, you know, great basketball coach does not love rookies. Let's go with. Uh, So I think, I think Peyton's going to get the shot. I think honestly, like Justin holiday might get the first shot, but like, I think by the end of the year, like Peyton Watson is going to be a really, really important, impactful player for them. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Let's talk about the Grizzlies now. You wanted to talk about Zaire Williams in this conversation. Uh, I'll just give you the floor to talk about Zaire, and then we can kind of open it up, I think, to a few of these guys like Jake LaRavia, David Roddy, um, 
a, a number of the interesting recent draft picks that the Grizzlies have that we'll need to kind of pick up some slack here, especially in the first 25 games. Yeah. Um, I think to me, it's like, I, I think all of them are fair answers, but to me, it's Zaire just because of what we saw him do as a rookie. Like he really just never was able to find his footing again last year after dealing with, with off season injury to it. It was knee injury, correct? Oh, I believe that. I don't want right. to misquote. I'm almost positive it was in the injury, but um, yeah. point being, like I think it was very clear that it bothered him last year coming in. He was not quite the same, and then with them having expectations, he wasn't really able to work and do a rhythm. So I think that definitely played a part. Um, but this year, I think it it'll just be interesting because I think part of what's fun or not fun because that, that's the improper way to put it but like with job being out as much as he's going to miss for the first part of the season like there's going to be real opportunities for guys to to create a little bit more because they're going to need it and i not that i think that they're, they're just going to put the ball in zyre's hands but i think there's going to be opportunities for him to come in and show some of the things that he did show in spurts as a rookie um it's just kind of like we talked about earlier with marjan like can you find more consistency in some of the things that matter to open up those other things for you. Like we've seen some of the the shot creation stuff, but can you expand? Like he was really good shooting from the corners as a rookie. That was one of my favorite things. Like he just sprinted to the corners every time. And that was, that was his, his saving grace was there attack closeouts. That was, that was his mission. Um, Can you expand to being a more capable shooter above the break, which opens up more for you as, just a player in general. Um, is there, is, is he a little bit stronger this year? Um, Cause again, like not to just keep bringing up the same things, but I think it is some of the stuff that you're going to see popping up for rookies typically, like especially for him being somebody who was a little bit on the scrawnier side, like that, that definitely matters for playing through contact. Um, like I just, like, overall, I want to see more of that. Cause I, I have liked what he's done defensively as a rookie, like uh, not as a rookie, just in general on his rookie scale. But I think to actually be a guy, like they really need the offense to pop this year from him because their biggest question is we need a fifth player who can shoot and defend because Luke Kennard, as much as I loved bringing him in, I, I've seen him as understanding being a rotation player here. Like we saw in the playoffs, like, okay, there are problems with Luke Kennard being on our team. It doesn't solve the problems for us. We need more players who can solve our four spacing problems while also contributing defensively. And I think – the idea is there with Sire. Well, it's just really interesting trying to figure out the way they're going to play, right? Because yeah. the Marcus Smart edition really transforms a lot of things for them in terms of just having more perimeter defense on the court, having more uh, just physicality maybe is a way to put it defensively on the court than what they've had. Like this is a really physical team on the interior with Steven Adams, right? And then Jaron Jackson's obviously willing to use his length to really cover ground and affect shots at the basket. But on the perimeter, you know, Desmond Bain, I think is a good defender who certainly gets his frame in there, but you know, John Morant's not necessarily that kind of defender. And uh, it just feels like adding that Marcus smart, you know, Luke Kennard's not that kind of defender adding smart in is really going to create a different vibe, you know, and having that kind of guy, I think allows for a little bit more leeway in terms of the kind of players that you play around them, right? Like the first 25 games I'm expecting Marcus smart plays point guard 
for the Grizzlies. And you know, Tyus Jones, who they traded for Marcus Smart, is another guy that like not a physical defender necessarily. I wonder if they could do stuff like play Zaire Williams with Smart and Bain as like their three man, and then go Jaron and Adams and like just try and be the best defense in the league, basically for the first twenty five games. And then when Ja comes back, you know, you bring Zaire off the bench or like, do you bring Marcus Smart off the bench and then close with him? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are just a lot of different like iterations. The other guys that I think are interesting and worth talking about here, too, are what if Zaire's shot like does not come around from day one and it ends up having to be somebody like a David Roddy, like a Jake LaRavia, um, you know, Santi Aldama, I expect be able to play minutes certainly but if you're starting steven adams and jaron it's not going to be him right uh what if it is like a more offensively minded player style like at the three basically really the two guys here are roddy and laravia and i know that you know i get yelled at every time i say that i like jake laravia a little bit more than i like david roddy given that roddy like won the battle for that role last year but Long term, I think that Laravia's shooting is just like a little bit more of a valuable piece than what you know Roddy's like physicality and you know scoring brings. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I'm kind of with you. I liked Laravia a little bit better last year. I know that they leaned on Roddy to do things. Um, I just I think a lot still needs to happen with Roddy for me to feel better. I I think the defense is still. It's not that he's a bad defender, but I think that they're just where he's at positional positionally. Um, and I know like we're in like we're doing the whole positionless thing, but at the same point, like I think part of my issue was that um he is still just kind of caught between a few things in a way that I don't feel awesome about. And I think like you mentioned, the shot really needs to come around. I think that the perimeter defense needs to keep getting better. Um so it's I think with Laravia, you saw some things that I felt better about before they started playing with the hustle more. Um so I I'm honestly with you there. I don't mind that take. Look, I, I think Roddy was better than Laravia last year. Like we can just say that. It's just, you know, I, I think I like the projection of what Laravia can be long term more than what I think Roddy can be long term, and that's okay. Like I'm, we'll see if I'm right or wrong on that. But I, I think they're both like semi interesting at the very least. Mm-hmm. John Concher, you know, certainly still on this roster. I would imagine he plays some minutes too. But to me, the thing that they need is probably Zaire to be who Zaire was as a rookie, where he was able to defend at the point of attack and like, you know, hopefully be something offensively at some point. Uh I, I just like I, I don't know where his health stands at, at this point. And yeah. the other piece of it is too, look, like they have a pretty deep front court in terms of the players they have once Brandon Clark gets back healthy from his Achilles injury. Like you have Brandon Clark that you can go to for like a athletic offensive short roll game where you can play switchable defense with him and Jaron. Uh, you have Xavier Tillman, who's just like an absolute you know basketball genius in terms of defense and positioning and angles and things like that. And then you have Santi Aldama, who's just like a more skilled offensive player who can shoot and who really knows how to play with touch and how to score. Like, I think they should go. I think they should obviously should start Steven Adams still because that can be their identity at the end of the day is just being that 
physical team that nobody wants to fucking play against. But all of these three other bigs, especially once Clark gets back and gets healthy again, they give them so much lineup versatility to where they're going to be able to close big with that smart Bane, Morant, Jaron foursome. And depending on what the other team needs or what you need to match up with from the other team, you can go so many different ways. You can go with Zaire if you want more like long active defense. You can go LaRavia or Luke Kennard if you want the shooting, probably Kennard at this point. You can go, you know, Xavier Tillman if he's, you know, having a really good game offensively and you want the increased offense as opposed to Steven Adams and the extra mobility. You can go Steven Adams if it's like a bigger center out there, like a Joel Embiid or some Nikola Jokic or something like that. Or you can go Santi if you want the skilled five man. You can go Brandon Clark if you want the uh, space, like the short roll and athletic, you know, four man that can switch and can do a lot of different things. They just have so much lineup versatility and they have so many guys like, you know, Dirty Dancer brings up, I don't get why they aren't using their MLE. I think it's mostly because their roster is just full. Like they just have a lot of players on this team. Like they have to cut, I think two or three guys to even get below like the 15 man roster at this point. So like, like Josh Christopher is on this team right now. Isaiah Todd's on this team. I would imagine that like those two are likely candidates, but then you have the, you know, Kenneth Lofton Jr. piece of it. And you have, uh, you know, one of these other guys that you might look to maybe trade before the season starts. I don't know. There, there's just a lot of different things they can do. I love the way Memphis, you know, goes about it. I think that they're really smart in terms of the way they team build. And I love the Marcus Smart deal for them, like I said. And I think that it gives them a lot of versatility in terms of figuring out which of these guys. They're not beholden to one of these guys hitting. They're be- or they're not beholden to a specific one of these guys hitting they're just beholden to one of these guys hitting. Yeah. Uh, And as long as one of them do, that's the piece. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, Remember when Santi Aldama started like a bunch of games early on in the season was actually pretty decent. So watch it just like randomly be him. That would be kind of funny, but Santi can play. Like I think Santi is a legit, like real NBA player. No, I agree. We'll be in the NBA for a decade. Like where the upside is. We'll see. I, I don't I don't have like a strong opinion on that, but he can be a real NBA player. I think like he will be a real NBA player off the bench at least mm-hmm. long term. Uh let's go to the last one here. I think Golden State is just critical within this conversation. Because if it's just so obvious, like if Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody can play real minutes, it changes things for Golden State because it allows their older guys to get a little bit more time on the bench. It allows uh them to just have more options in terms of lineup flexibility. It's just a way more functional offense and defense potentially if Kaminga and Moody can play. Yeah. And it's not even an if like they need them to play in, in my opinion, like not saying that you're not saying that, but like the yeah. depth on this team is a little questionable. Like, I think it's pretty unproven. Um, I, I don't want to say that they're banking on Trace Jackson Davis being able to like make a rookie team, but like that's their third center, man. Like they have like because I still don't think Dario is like a complete shoe in for that happening. He's been pretty in and out like the last year, so it just depends. But point being, like 
you look up and down, like they they need Brandon Podziemski to maybe do a little bit of something this year. Like Gary Payton II has to get back to being fully healthy again. Like there's not saying that this seems bad or something like that, but like they need Moody and Kaminga to be solid this year. Um, which player do you bank on doing that more? I would say I trust Moses Moody to step into the role more. Which player do you think is more Mark, I lost you momentarily. What what did you ask? I said, which player do you think is more important to have step into the role? I think it's just important for one of them to be good. I I think that like if if you could get Kaminga to be able to play like the all of the three, four, five, which he even did like a you know on like small occasions last year is like a super small ball energy five. That's probably a little bit more impactful for them, just given what their front court depth could be. Like if Dario Saric like isn't you know much of anything valuable uh, this season, or if he gets hurt, frankly, ha- having that extra you know three, four, five player, I think would be more valuable. The thing is though that like it's just harder to get him on the court with Gary Payton the second also there now and like playing a critical role because. They those two really have significant overlap right now without the shooting as just like high level athletes. And Gary Payton the second is just better than Jonathan Kaminga right now. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Which one do you like? How would you answer those questions? Um, I think to me, I agree with you. Like, I think Moody's probably just more likely to pop. Um, but I think Kaminga is more important because to me, their front court is the question. Like, and I, I phrased it wrong. Trace to me is like that's their third big not just third, third not third center was the improper phrasing like when you look at the way that this is set up right now I think they need Kaminga to, to have some of the front court um some of the versatility in the front court that I I think was a problem for them at times last year like they struggled with being a downsized team at times um like even again as good as the team was I do think that it, it wasn't um like plain and perfect for them throughout and I think for them to have the ability to match up and contend with some of the teams that they're going to have to. I think it's pretty key that they have him continue to round out as a defender and become more stable offensively because if he's not and he ends up just fading out of the rotation again this year, like that that, that puts them in a really difficult spot. Well, the interesting thing is like, in, you know, Dirty Dancer brought up like why is Memphis not using the MLE you know, and I, I think that, you know, they just have a lot of dudes, but he also said like, they didn't even give Kaminga a chance in the playoffs last year. I thought he was pretty good in the regular season, basically. And I thought that he was pretty valuable in the regular season. I kind of agree with that. Like yeah. there were minutes in the regular season, like he started 16 games and played 21 minutes and showcased some real valuable energy plays. And I thought improved defensively in the second half of the season. I thought it was really strong and solid from Kaminga. I, I get why they can't play him in the playoffs again because of that overlap with Gary Payton the second and with Kavon Looney, frankly. Like you can't play in Draymond Green. Like you can only play so many non-shooters. And this team still has three significant non-shooters in their rotation in Draymond Green, Gary Payton the second, and Kavon Looney, all of whom are ahead of Kaminga in the rotation. But that doesn't mean that Kaminga like 
can't hopefully take a leap as a shooter in some way. Like, I think the jury is kind of out on, or the jury is in maybe on Draymond Green and Looney and Peyton not becoming shooters, right? But Mm -hmm. Kaminga, you know, maybe there's something there. I don't know that I completely buy that as I say it, but if he could do anything off the catch as a shooter, it would be really valuable for him. Uh, but if one of those guys goes down, then it becomes more important for Kaminga to be the guy. W- with Moody, it's just an easy like role to slot into. He can be a six foot six long wing who can knock down shots, who can be hopefully like a long, you know, impactful defender in some capacity. He's like a smart defender. He's just a little bit slow footed and isn't like the craziest athlete, but he really knows how to play and like really understands spacing and understands everything that comes with uh, being just like a smart, intelligent, high IQ player for the most part, mm-hmm. as long as Moody can come in and knock down shots. Like I think that he'll be, he'll be the one that I think I am expecting and anticipating to step into that role a little bit more easily, maybe is the way to put it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Do, do you have any strong thoughts on Moses Moody beyond that? Uh, I think it's just continuing to like, uh, would you agree that confidence was kind of an issue for him last year? Like early on, yes. Yeah. I think I do agree with that. Yeah. I feel like I just want to see more of him being confident. Um, I do think uh it's just continued consistency again. Like I it part of what was so exciting about him at Arkansas was the drives. Cause like even if yeah. he wasn't like a crazy above the rim athlete, his ability to generate free throws through contact was like that was such a fun part of his game. I feel like we just haven't really seen that as much yet this year. It feels like he does kind of overthink some of that stuff, um, like to me at least. Um, and I just want to see him like really not sell out to do that is the wrong way to put it. But like I want to feel the drives again this year. Not that they haven't been felt, but again, with more like more routinely. Um, and I think, again, like part of that just comes with continuing to, to shoot better on higher volume. Um, but like like you mentioned, I think that there is room for that to really be there. Yeah, and look, like if either of these two can play and the Warriors do what I think they're going to start the season with at the very least and have Chris Paul run second units for them, they should find open shots. Like they should find real instances where they're able to contribute offensively, uh, especially Moody as like a corner three point shooter or a wing three point shooter. Chris Paul will find him out of ball screens if he's able to knock down the shots. So to me, like the, the, the one that I am anticipating taking that next step. And look, this comes from somebody who was a big Moses Moody fan pre-draft as well. Like, I I think it's going to be Moses Moody. I think he, I think we see Moses Moody, you know, become like a pretty clear seventh man for them. And maybe, you know, step into the minutes that Dante DiVincenzo like vacated. There's mm-hmm. a way to put it, maybe. Because, like, Dante is, like, a sneaky big loss for them that I feel like not a lot of people are mentioning with the Warriors. Like, the Chris Paul thing for Jordan Poole, like, I'm expecting that it'll look very different and they'll have to figure out, like, different ways to run the second unit. Uh, my guess is that they play slower with the second unit when Chris Paul is running it. Mm-hmm. But, like, having Chris Paul run the second unit, you know, instead of what was oftentimes Jordan Poole running the second unit... Um, should be valuable, I think. And, and they'll figure that out. Losing Dante is like a defender and an energy guy. Dante played a shit ton of minutes for them last year. He played like 2,000 minutes for them. 
And then in the playoffs was playing like, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a night. Like he was really, really useful. So that's not like an insubstantial piece of their rotation that is just gone and they need to find an answer for. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. So to me, like Moody is the one that can step into that role. But then again, like the energy piece of it is Kaminga. Like if you need like the energy Kaminga can bring uh, that Dante brought last year, maybe it's him. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not a big Corey Joseph guy based on what we saw with the Pistons, you know, last year. Yeah, I think he's pretty. I don't want to say cooked, but I think he's he's a nice vet. I think you can play him for a couple minutes, but he, I'm pretty out yeah. on him as a substantial rotation player at this point. I think he's like a depth guy, and look, like Dario had solid minutes last year, but if if Moody and Kuminga take the leap to being what we people thought they were pre-draft as lottery picks in their third season. This is a deep team and this is a different team than what, you know, has been anticipated to this point. Most definitely. Okay. Uh, th- that's all we got. I mean, Mark, th- those were the, those were the seven teams we wanted to talk about. At least we kind of ended up hitting on like somewhere between like nine and, you know, 12 players or something, but this was fun. This was a really good idea. I'm glad you kind of brought this up. I'm glad you enjoyed. No, I had a blast doing this, man. Um, I don't think I have anything else to wrap up on, but regardless, I'm just the NBA season is like coming very quickly, which yeah. I'm both ready for and not ready for. But um, I'm excited, man. You, you have not gotten a chance to watch any of these NBL Blitz games, like over here. I have a, right? I haven't watched Blitz, but I do have the uh, Perth and GLI games downloaded to watch before the end of the week. Nice, yeah, they're fun. They're they're really fun. I'm gonna the the friday show this week might end up being like a solo podcast where i just like break down you know alex r tape and maybe a couple other guys we'll see um i'm not totally sure what i'm going to do for the friday show yet but i I do want to like actually dive in and like really talk about some of the alex r you know breakout frankly that we've seen like again i think i was higher on sar than anybody in the public sphere at least in the preseason I had him at seven or eight or something like that. And he's been fantastic, like absolutely fantastic uh, over the course of the preseason for Perth. I've been so, so impressed with his just mobility, his defensive anticipation, everything you see on offense. And you can see the confidence growing last night. They played Adelaide and Adelaide is a total nightmare right now. Like there, there were points last night in this Adelaide game where Jamal Franklin was just like completely taking over the Adelaide offense and not passing the ball once he got it. And nice. we're just like, okay, I'm just going to pull up from three. It was, uh, it was, it was an experience. And then you have the Trenton flowers experiment, which I don't need to harp on. I spent a decent amount of time talking about that last time. I will say they moved him off the ball more often yesterday and he looked a little bit better. Well, we'll, we'll keep it positive. I, I thought it was good to move him off the ball a little bit. Um, but Saar in that game last night really started to like explore the studio space a little bit with his handle. Like he had a couple mm-hmm. grab and go moments. He had a couple of really, really, really impressive like drives where like you saw him get a little bit lower than what you've seen previously and, you know, be able to like, you know, drive and like go for like these little like finger roll lay ins. Man, he's. Alex Saar is like very much in contention to be the number one overall pick this year i think i don't know that it will go that way and i think this is a weak draft class and i think there are a number of 
things still to be sorted out in this thing. But he's he's a real contender, let's go with, for the number one overall pick, I think. Well, I'm excited to see more of him. Everything I've seen uh, from clips people have sent me is uh, is definitely enticing, my kind of player. So I'm excited to watch some, some of his full games for sure. Yeah. Okay, Mark, uh, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. I uh, got a lot of things cooking. Uh, obviously in the middle of WNBA playoffs right now, so I've been slammed with that. Um, I did just have an interview with uh, Celeste Taylor go up over on my pod. Um, she's dope over at Ohio State. Who does she play for, Mark? Your the goddamn Ohio State, for Ohio State. The Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, for reference, they're probably going to be the best team that that school has ever had this coming year, and she's a big reason why. So go check that out. She was really fun. Um, she's had a ton of USA – basically has played USA basketball since she was 15 – and plays like three by three now with them because uh, it's over it's the U24 team um, has played three different schools, uh, all different roles. So in terms of just like talking to somebody about like a really interesting basketball journey, how they see the game, I thought regardless of what side you uh, you tend to be on with looking at men's or women's, I thought it was a really fun time. So uh, definitely go check that out. All right. This is the Game Theory Podcast. I will be back later this week. Again, it might be like a tape breakdown. It might be something else that I do. I'm not totally sure yet. Over at The Athletic, while I'm on the plane tonight, because I'm heading back to Melbourne finally uh, tonight, thank God. You know, I love I love the Gold Coast. I'm just excited to go home. Uh, I'll probably write some thoughts down on what I've seen from the NBL Blitz to this point, uh, particularly about the prospects, obviously. Uh, I'm not going to dive deep into the Adelaide 36ers not running offense. And I need a thousand words on Jamal Franklin by tomorrow morning. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, one guy we'll write about is a guy that's not an NBA draft prospect anymore, but I think is a real NBA prospect in Jalen Galloway uh, for the Sydney Kings. You know, he was auto eligible last year and went undrafted for very bizarre reasons where like, he went to high school in the United States and then like went over to the center of excellence and like was with the Kings last year and like the timeline thing got fucked up. But, you know, I, I will write about a number of these players that aren't necessarily next stars like Taron Armstrong, Ben Henshaw um, and Jalen Galloway, all of whom I think do have real long-term NBA like potential futures. Like Ben Henshaw is a guy that's very skinny right now, but he plays with real attitude and, you know, six foot five. I'm interested to see your thoughts on him because he plays for Perth and mm-hmm. you'll see him within those Ignite games that you have downloaded. Um, but Jalen Galloway is really, really impressive and I'm excited to learn more about him. But until next time, folks, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.